All right, here we go. El Magnifico, Vic, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. How are you yeah. doing? I, I'm doing well, man. Um, and I you know, really appreciate you coming on the show. Uh, you know, I think your most recent win was just uh it was crazy it was a hell of a way to kick off a pay-per-view too that was the that was the 278 pay-per-view with usman and edwards and you know a, a fight like that to get the card started is always a good sign so you know how have you been enjoying uh life post post that win i've been enjoying it very well i've been enjoying you know, just the win, the team, you know, it, it definitely takes a toll on, on everyone when it comes to the pressure, when it comes to the time, when it comes to everything else you have to set aside to make sure you accomplish this one particular goal. And because I have people who care about me, of course, my team, my my family, they, they take, you know, they voluntarily take a step back in the back burner. Mm -hmm. And watching that, it's a little difficult for me. But making sure that what they're doing is worth it is another pressure that gets added. Like, oh, these people know that this is my priority and they are understanding of it. So I have to make sure that when the day comes, they feel like it was worth it too because there's some neglect, you know. There's, I have to get up early. I don't get to see my family very often. Mm -hmm. I'm at the gym. And it's not just me. It's my coach, Juan Tatum. My team at Peak Performance, you know, everybody who's there, they're doing the same thing when it comes to sacrificing their time and their resources to be there to help us all get better. And whenever the day's approaching, you remember everybody who has sacrificed time for this moment. And you have to show up and make sure that they feel like it was worth it. I don't know if that's true. I don't know if this is how they're thinking. Mm -hmm. But in my head, I'm thinking, I better make it worth it for everything that my whole team has put up. You know, you only see one person in the cage. You see two people. And you think, you know, that's that. But no, there's so many, so many people. So many people just behind a fighter that, right. you know, it, it's, um, it's a weird way to say it's a team sport. Because you don't see the team. The team happens all the way into you walk into the cage. You have a team. Yeah, and I, you know, I, yeah, I was just about to say that exact same thing is that you know, you only see the two fighters, but it but it is a team sport. I mean, you you know, you have your family and your friends that you know that help you get through it in their way, and then you have like your coaches and your training partners and everything like that that are helping you through camp and helping you get prepared physically. I mean, it you know, it it is pretty much a team sport. Yeah, most definitely. Most definitely a team sport. It's it's really cool because the the type of team sport that it is, it's not a team that's working together to uh, to accomplish a goal. It's a team that's working together to make sure you fail enough times so that you can understand what you need to do to not fail when it matters. Mm. That's a really good point. Now, who are you? Uh, I know you're out of the out of the Fort Worth, Fort Worth area uh, up there. Who 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 are you training with? What's your gym? You know who uh, who are you training with up there? I train with Juan Tatum, a peak performance Watago. Shout out to my gym, best gym in the world, best coach in the world. Very dedicated team, very dedicated coach. You know, I have my strength and conditioning coach Adrian Delgado. 
um, our main coach, you know, Juan Tatum. Um, one of my other corners, David Luna, you know, he's been with me since day one of MMA training. So I train with them. I do my jujitsu, my striking, everything there. And then I also cross train with the VFIT House of Champions. Shout out to them and Coach Robert. They have a really good roster of professional strikers. So mm-hmm. they have a striking, you know, that's their specialty. So I spar with them. I train with them. I teach there too. And, you know, it's just a really good team that we have put together and surround ourselves with people who are not only specialists, but also understand putting it together, the grappling and the striking. And mm-hmm. then, like I just mentioned, people who only grapple and people who only strike. And the beautiful thing is that at the end of the day, it's up to the individual to say, okay, let me take my best striking attributes, my best grappling attributes and mix them up together. And that's what makes you know, the best fighter is how can you put them together so that it works for you? And that's what we do. Yeah. And I mean, that's the, that's the beauty of the sport, right? Like combining all of those different martial arts into, into one and then going out there with a bunch of other guys that are doing the same thing and, and trying to prove that you're the best. Now, now, who over there at uh, at your gym taught you those brutal elbows that you knocked out Daniel De Silva with? Well, you know, elbows, elbows are elbows. Everybody knows how to throw elbows. But <laughs> the most important part that I learned was uh, the posture that needs to be maintained during ground and pound. And that is credit to Juan Tatum. Juan Tatum understands, you know, my main coach, he understands the, the ground and pound very well. He understands the posture that needs to be maintained the volume that needs to be delivered and Mm -hmm. the angles that need to be, you know, assembled and and maintained because, you know, ground and pound, of course, is brutal. But if you're on the bottom receiving ground and pound, you know that you have a window of opportunity to create different angles and get up or submit and what have you. So on on this camp, we really implemented, you know, how to make sure we not only get to the ground and pound, but maintain the ground and pound. Everybody can throw punches and everybody can throw elbows, but how do you maintain a position where you can optimally throw them and continue to throw them? Mm -hmm. So that was the biggest thing is how do we maintain a position where we can continue to do damage? Because damage we know how to deliver. It's the position of maintaining that we need to do. And that's what we worked on for this fight camp. You know, that was all my coach, Juan Tatum again. And, uh, we we were really diligent on making sure that the ground and pound was able to be maintained. Yeah. What what were uh, what were some other things that you worked on in this past uh, fight camp? You know, were there any any real specific areas that you guys honed in on and and tried to improve there? For this particular fight camp, we had two opponents. We had Jake Hadley, which has a really proficient rubber guard, and. defense rubber guard shutdowns rubber guard passes rubber guard ground and pound and everything that you can think about for rubber guard you know right now it was it was too too early to give me a rubber guard game because that's not what i play and it was too early to implement it we had no time for that so we just worked on defending it then we had a switch of opponent and then we had the silva and he was a really good transition grappler. He would take you to the ground, 
and transition from one submission to the other. And if you put him on the ground, he would transition from one submission to the other. So mm-hmm. we knew that we were going to be dealing with a very dynamic grappler and a very offensive striker. So what we worked on is work on making sure that we worked on angles. We worked our head movement. We worked on our power because we were not going to outspeed him. He was really fast. We just had to make sure that every shot we did land created damage. And as you saw in the fight, you know, I took some hits, but the hits that I delivered were more significant when it came to the damage that was taken. Um, although I took at the beginning in the striking round, I was getting pieced up for the, for the timing and the speed because he was faster. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was no power behind it. So we just wanted to make sure that whenever we delivered a power shot, it was felt and it, it, took, a, it took a toll on whatever movement he had. And sure enough, we did. We stayed put. We planted our feet and we made sure that when we delivered the shots, the power was delivered with it. And thus we had the knee, thus we took him to the ground, but he was hurt. And so he wasn't able to continue with the beautiful transitions that he has because he was hurt when he went to the ground. And we just made sure he stayed hurt, stayed on the ground until the ref stopped it. Yeah, it was um, it, it was a great performance, man. It was really uh, it was really fun to see. And like I said, you know, being the, the first fight of the card, seeing a seeing a finish like that is always uh, is always pretty awesome. And and it you know it caused me to want to reach out to you to get you on the uh, on the podcast. Um, Thank you. Yeah, yeah, um, it was it was really cool. Uh, yeah, I put it upon myself to make sure that the card started well. Not only because you know it's a it's a big card. It's Leon versus you know Edward Edwards versus Usman. It's a big card. It's big expectations. It's Salt Lake City, a town that have only had one other UFC event. So it's been a while since they've had a UFC event. And I wanted to show up and make sure that I delivered, not just for me and my performance, but for the UFC as a company and making sure that Salt Lake City remember why they like having a UFC event in their in their town. Mm-hmm. And you know, I don't I don't want them to I don't want them to only feel that towards the main card. I want them to feel that from the beginning. And so when they told me I was fine number one, mm-hmm. I thought, great. I get to make sure Salt Lake City has a great show from beginning to end. You know, I don't have control about the middle fights, but I'll make sure that mine is good. Well you did a you, you did a fantastic job at that. And you know you you've mentioned a couple of times now just the uh you know like the pressure of you know wanting to perform for you know the UFC, you know, family, friends, your team, you know, everybody like that. And we talked a little bit of about it before we hopped on here but you know how how do you deal with all of that pressure like while you're going through training camp while you're trying to mentally prepare to to fight another person like what how how do you deal with that I mean I imagine it has to be pretty difficult at times yeah yeah it's very difficult at times it it does take a toll you know there have been plenty of fight camps in which pressure alone and stress alone have a given me a few a few weeks or a week of being sick. You know, sometimes I wonder, man, why am I sick? I'm healthy. I'm taking my vitamins. I haven't been around sick people. And believe it or not, stress gets to you. Stress gets to you so much that it can mm-hmm. make you sick. And, you know, I'm sure other people know that this is true. But, 
you don't see it coming. And so to deal, the way I deal with it is by reminding myself that pressure works both ways. You know, my wife told me this and I really appreciated it. Pressure works both ways. Pressure can work from, you know, coming from on top and just pushing you down. And pressure could also work from coming beneath you and propelling you and thrusting you upwards mm-hmm. with more power than you had. And it's up to you to channel that pressure that you have around you and say, is this pressure going to put me down or is this pressure going to thrust me up? You know, and that's how I deal with it. I just make sure that I channel that pressure in the right direction so that it doesn't push me down, but rather thrust me upwards to where I need to be. Wow. That is a, yeah, though, that really is a great way of, of looking at it and like, you know, trying to, you know, make something positive out of, you know, something that would usually stress you out or anything like that. Um, now, how how did you first get involved uh, in mixed martial arts? Could you take us back through through a little bit of that? Well, since I was a little kid, my uh, my family has always been big fans of boxing and combat sports. So mm. from a very early age, I would, you know, hit mitts with my my dad, my both of my grandfathers were boxers, so they both had a love for the sport. And from a very early age, I understood violence as not an emotional reaction, but just a skill that you can acquire. So never in my life have I seen violence as an emotional outburst. I've mm-hmm. always seen this as, as a skill you can hone. And ever since then, I wanted to be good at it. I just wanted to make sure that I was good at it. And as I started dabbing with it and seeing how I can be good at it, I started doing Taekwondo and I really stuck with it. I, I really competed. I made sure that I was proficient. I made sure that whatever was taught to me was, you know, given well. And I really put a lot of time, effort and resources into making sure that I, I was good at it. And I got to the point where I would win tournaments that I wasn't planning on competing. And I'd just show up and they say, hey, you want to compete? And I would show up to judge. And they would say, hey, you want to compete? And like, yeah, I didn't bring my gear. I was like, oh, you can borrow mine. And I would win first place just like that. Wow. And, and I thought, well, am I good because I'm good? Or am I good because these people are bad? And so I stepped <laughs> up my competition because I just couldn't believe that, that that would happen. You don't hear about it. Right. And so when I stepped up my competition, I realized, oh, man, these people are hobbyists. Mm. I've been competing against hobbyists with the spirit of a competitor. Mm. And now I'm competing against competitors. And now I see the difference. Now I'm not getting first place. Now I'm getting third. Now I'm not even placing. Now sometimes I get first if I get lucky and work really hard. And so then I said, I want more of this. I want to make sure I know more. And, you know, I climbed up that ladder and then I moved away. I went to college and um, it was away, so I didn't have my Taekwondo gym anymore, but I still wanted to practice martial arts. And I had this wonderful opportunity to make sure that I learned something that I had no idea about. And that's how I found jujitsu. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no grappling in Taekwondo. So when I went to jujitsu, I was just, you know, back to white belt, back to not knowing jack shit, back to winning first place every single tournament to you just got tapped out by 
you know, someone who's also wearing a white belt, just like you. Right. And I thought, dang, this is this is hard. This is a completely different game of combat in which I thought I was good at and com- was completely neglected. I had no idea that combat had this dimension of it, this grappling dimension. And so I just became very intrigued and very dedicated to make sure that I understood something that was just constantly beating me. Everybody beat me. I probably didn't tap anybody for like a year. Wow. It took me about a year to tap someone. And I'm not a big person. So, you know, everybody who would go with me, if they weren't technical, they were definitely stronger. So I, I probably thought about quitting several times. But I thought, you know, I'm broke. And I already paid my my membership. I might as well just keep going. <laughs> and so I kept going. I kept going. I got good, relatively speaking. And um, and then I thought, okay, well, how do I know I'm good? Well, let's compete again. Let's do tournaments. Let's do fights. Let's make sure I prove myself to me to find out if what I've been learning for all these years is sufficient it's proficient it's effective and what base to do what best way to do that than to go against someone else who's also trained and so that's that's how i got into fighting that's how i wanted to make sure that i kept testing the skills that i was acquiring is by making sure i tested them against other people who have always done the same yeah and do you do you think it was your family that instilled that because you have like this it's clear you have this drive in you to to want to be better and and you know like compete against other people and try to get better i mean was it your you know growing up in like a boxing family you think did that for you well my although like i mentioned my family was really into boxing mm-hmm. they um they weren't so into boxing that they would compete themselves i never saw them compete mm-hmm. you know every now and then we would hit pads and i right. would you know have my boxing gloves but we never really they weren't really into it by the time i was a kid they were long retired by then but but it was their diligence you know outside of boxing alone just the way they lived their lives everybody in my family would wake up and go do what they needed to do to provide for the ones they love whether they were sick whether they were tired whether there was a birthday the day before they stood up to 4 a.m they woke up again hour later and went to work and did that. And just watching that constant diligence, watching that constant discipline, that constant drive, the constant, I'm going to do what I need to do because if I don't, no one else is going to. And just watching that in my family gave me this no excuse, you know, mentality. Like, okay, well, what's my excuse? Like my my, my dad's sick and he's going to work. My grandfather's old and he refuses to retire. You know, you know, these people are just constantly hustling for the better of themselves and their family. So whenever I chose to to be a professional athlete, you know, it's it's compared to what they had to do to provide for their family. It's fun. They they weren't doing what they wanted to do. They were doing what they had to do. I get to do what I want to do. So I have no room for excuses like none. And I take that seriously. I take that very, um, very seriously because if, if the people who are doing what they don't want to do have no excuses, why do I get excuses for doing something I chose and want to do? Right. Yeah. So, so you, 
So when exactly did you decide that you wanted to like to to do pro martial arts, like fight professional? Was was fighting professionally something that you always wanted to do or was it something that, you know, you you figured out later that you wanted to do like as a as a career and not just a hobby? Well, um, before before I got married, I had no legal documentation that allowed me to do a lot of things. I had mm. DACA, which allowed me to work legally, but, you know, I wasn't able to finish college. And so my, my most, my biggest ambitions scholastically could not been reached because I had no money to finish college, mm. but I've always wanted more. And so I looked at what I had the most experience in and that was martial arts. And then I told myself, well, let me see how far I get doing what I know how to do well, because I have been doing it for a while. And so I just kept doing it and climbing the ladder over and over again. And I just wanted to see how far it will get me until I couldn't go any farther. And whenever I would, um, I actually went to my first pro fight coming out of an amateur loss because I realized that you know, in amateurs, you can't throw elbows to reinforce knees to the head. And mm. and one of the reasons why I lost my last amateur fight was because I was caught in a clinch and my partner took me down because I couldn't deliver reinforced knees to the face or elbows to the face. Mm. And I lost that fight. And I thought, well, let me let me off the leash entirely. Let me let me be a pro fighter and be able to deliver everything and all. And so I did. And that's when I found out, okay, well now we know, now we know let's continue. Yeah. And you, you made your pro debut uh, in LFA in, in 2017 and you were undefeated for, for a while there and even ended up winning the, the flyweight title there. I, I did watch, uh, I went back and I, I watched that fight and it was a, uh, it, it, it was very good. When did, uh, when, at, at what point did you start thinking like, like, oh shit, I could like, I could go fight in the UFC. Like this is, you know, like this is a real thing that I can do. Whenever they offered me the LFA title shot, mm. I realized, okay, well, if I'm able to give the, to get the offer for the LFA title shot, then I should be able to look at the UFC in the near future. Because people who have not earned the, the LFA title shot have gone to the UFC. Mm-hmm. And so I thought, okay, well, the offer alone lets me know that I'm at the same caliber to at least enter the UFC. But I don't want just at least. I want to make sure that the UFC knows that I belong there. So right. let me go win this title. And, you know, when I won the title, I thought, okay, UFC, I'm ready. What's up? And, you know, it was a long wait because I have won the title. And I was like, are they going to give me a straight contract? Am I going to go to, you know, the ultimate fighter? Am I going to go to Dana White's contender series? I didn't hear anything for months. And Mm -hmm. I was just thinking, what am I going to do? Am I going to defend my LFA title? Am I going to go to the UFC? What do I need to train for? I continued to train, but Mm -hmm. I was at a place that was so ambiguous that it was difficult to maintain the training was like, what am I training for? I need to know. And Damn. then they told me, hey, August, we're fighting for the contender series. And I thought, good. Now we know. Yeah, that uh, yeah, that anticipation had to be crazy. 
just like sitting around and like like well not sitting around you're training obviously but like waiting for the yeah. ufc to get back to you and you're trying to figure out like what your next move is going to be professionally you know yeah that had to the be. ufc yeah, yeah right like it's not a guarantee you know but man um yeah, we're actually uh, we're running down uh, on time here. You got about seven minutes left, man. But let, could you just tell me a little bit about that Dana White Contender Series experience and what all that was like? So you get the offer to go fight. And yeah. then after that, it's like it's got to be full speed ahead. Like this is it. This is the you know, this is the big shot. Yeah, it was full speed ahead. It's, we have a goal and our goal is not just another LFA fight. It's not defending the belt. It is a shot to make it into the biggest combat organization that exists right now. We're going to have to audition, really, really an audition, to go to the UFC, see if you deserve to be in the UFC. So we had a goal, and, you know, it was a tough fight camp. It was probably one of the toughest fight camps I've ever seen, um, mostly emotionally, not really physically, but mostly emotionally, you know. And uh, we, we pulled through it. It was hard. Um, I got COVID two weeks before, Damn. so I, my cardio was gone and had to rebuild it. And, you know, luckily I rebuilt it enough to finish the fight and be able to come out with the win. But the most beautiful thing about the contender series was that I, I made it to Vegas. I was in the UFC facilities and everything that they had. And I realized for the first time in my life that the sport that I loved the most was also loved by people millions of people all over the world that have never necessarily stepped a foot on a mat. Mm -hmm. and, and I realized, wow, people, a lot of people really care about the thing that I do. And I didn't think they did unless they also trained, but that's not the case. There's so many, so many people, millions who've never trained a day in their life and still love to watch what I've dedicated my life to do. And just watching that was very moving. And then my my other favorite part about it was the very last fight on the contender series, where it was a uh, a Russian team and a and a Brazilian team, mm -hmm. and there were those there's these two people from completely opposite sides of this hemisphere, and they are in they are sharing this place this time frame, particularly because they have both chase something they love. These two individuals have both maintained a dedication and a diligence to the point that they are together now here. Never met before, never even heard each other's languages before. And now they're here fighting and, you know, literally fighting for their dreams from, from so far away, the world comes together to see who is the best. And, just watching that and witnessing that was very wonderful for me. Just realizing that the whole world really cares about the sport, really cares about who I thought I was the only one who cared about it, you know, but it was really cool. Really cool. Oh, I bet it was, man. And to like finally make it, you know, to the UFC. And I mean, now, you know, you're coming off this big, you know, this big first round knockout. I mean, it has to feel like a dream, I imagine. It, it feels a little bit like a dream. And, you know, if it wouldn't have been for the hard work that it takes to do that, it would probably feel all like a dream. But, you know, it, it just, 
it feels more um more more you feel gratefulness you know you feel you feel relieved because you weren't you realize you weren't just given this you know you you were well i was you know everyone really (laughs) everyone who does the sport has been choked out knocked out dropped in pain in preparation for a victory and very well could have not been because you don't know what the other team is bringing. Right. You just know they're bringing their best. So you better bring your best. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right, man. Well, we got a couple of minutes uh, left here. We're winding down, man. It is there, what, what, what's next for you? I mean, do you, I don't, I, you know, just did a quick Google search. I didn't see that you had a fight lined up, man. Is there, Anyone you have in mind? I mean, what are, what are some of the next steps that you're thinking? You know, we're still training. We're still diligent. We're still training as if we had a fight, just in case that we have a short notice. We are ready. But we, I did overhear Dana saying that everything's booked up until January. So mm-hmm. unless it's a short notice fight, I probably won't fight again until next year. Nonetheless, we'll be ready, whether it be right now, or whether it be next year, we're ready to go. I don't really have a particular person um, because the only particular person is whoever's holding the belt right now. That is the goal. That is who we want to beat, and that is where we want to be. So whoever we need to beat to get to that place, that's whoever we'll beat to get to that place. It doesn't really matter who it is as long as we get there. Yeah, that's awesome, man. I'm excited for you. You know, like I said, after watching your fight at, at 278, I'm a fan. So whoever you fight next, man, I'm going to be rooting for you. I uh, want, want you to be able to use this last, you know, minute and a half, two minutes here. Just shout out anyone, you know, any any teammates, sponsors, Jim, you know, whoever you want, man. Oh, well, I'd like to give a shout out to the best gym in the world, Peak Performance Wataga, my coach, Juan Tatum, Adrian Delgado, my boy, David Luna, you know, Tony Lemons, just Destiny Oldingham. You know, there's a one to list, hmm. a big list of people who have just come together to make this happen. And my dream is to make sure that I'm part of a list of someone who's made it to the UFC as well. So I want my team to do that. Shout out to Cryo Nation for keeping me my recovery. Does greatness, you know, for recovery is probably the best thing you need to do. You have to invest recovery hours as many times as you invest output hours. Without it, you can't continue to perform. So shout out to Crown Nation for keeping me healthy and making sure that I'm there. And just a big shout out to my family here in New Mexico, my mom, my wife, you know, everyone, everyone who's supportive, loving, and understanding of all the hangry times I go through the weight cuts. <laughs> yeah, I love it, man. That's awesome. Well, you know, congratulations on your big win. It was a lot of fun to watch and Again, just really appreciate you coming on the show, man. It was awesome to talk to you. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. All right. Thank you.